Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Geopolitically, where are we today? Where is the post-Cold War dialogue and cooperation we thought we enjoyed, and what is the impact on the markets? Foster and Motley co-founder Mark Motley has some thoughts on this. The firm publishes a quarterly market update and will begin sharing it with you in this podcast. I'm Patrice Sikora. And as I mentioned, Mark is co-founder of Foster and Motley, a shareholder, co-investment officer, and investment manager. He wrote this quarter's article and offers it here for your consideration. Mark? Bombs and bonds. Lenin said, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. The few weeks since Russia's invasion of the smaller but fierce Ukraine seemed to have much of that quality of compressed import. The world was not the same after World War I began. It was not the same after World War II began. It was not the same after the Cold War ended. Some events suddenly make the world a different place. After the invasion of Ukraine, it appears the post-Cold War era is over and prior norms will not revert as long as Putin controls Russia. We have observed this aggression with profound sadness and sorrow, certainly for the suffering yet inspiring Ukrainian people, but with more than that as well. On some level, we each recognize and mourn the passing of an era, an era whose troubles now seem smaller from this current perch. Our last comment was sent the day after the invasion. Much sense has not gone as experts expected. Some still think Putin may eventually win the war, but lose the peace mired in an intense insurgency. Others expect a stalemate that becomes a frozen conflict. However this plays out, many things in the past few weeks make this crisis unique. Thermal barrack and cluster bombs have been used on civilians. Multiple civilian healthcare facilities, including maternity hospitals, and a large nuclear power plant have been targeted. Russia reportedly attempted to assassinate the Ukrainian president multiple times, and scores, perhaps hundreds, of captive Ukrainian citizens have been executed. Putin declared economic sanctions, quote, the equivalent of a declaration of war, and most significantly, he has threatened to use his nuclear weapons. This is obviously not business as usual in superpower relations. The Western democracies are suddenly in a new and antagonistic relationship with Russia. In most terms, Putin has done little other than escalate. If this results in a new Cold War, as looks likely, this changed world order may be the most important geopolitical shift since the early 1990s when the Cold War ended. For its part in arming Ukraine after the invasion rather than before, the West may have been insufficiently active in preventing this, but it has been remarkably unified, forceful, and rapid in its response. The imposition of the most severe economic sanctions in the modern era, coupled with NATO countries suddenly committing to a significant defense buildup while supplying Ukraine with needed supplies and weapons. Necessary as they were, the sanctions and other moves raise risks to economies and markets that generate more questions than answers. We will all be trying to sort this out for some time. But here are a few initial takes. Risk may be greatest in Europe where European bank credit spreads have blown out and the price of Deutsche Bank stock, for example, was at one point down more than 42% from its level just prior to the invasion. 
capabilities recovered to being down only about 20% now. We don't have the answers to these, but here are a few of the most relevant questions raised. Banks, when financial markets break, it sometimes takes the form of a currency crisis, followed by a debt crisis, followed by an equity crisis. It starts in one place and spreads to others. All three have happened now in Russia to a degree not experienced in many years. Will Russia's debt default and how much is held by European banks? Bank linkages like credit default swaps are hard to quantify in advance. Markets have recovered substantially since the initial swoon, but risks remain. The dollar. The most potent of the economic sanctions was the seizing of dollar assets of the Russian central bank and cutting that bank off from the banking international settlement system. That was vitally important to do, but may carry a long-term cost to us as well. How many central bankers in Asia, for example, will now view their dollar holdings as less secure than they formerly thought? And how many of their governments may seek to develop trade denominated in currencies other than the dollar? If that occurs, even at the margin, will that result in a weaker dollar, higher inflation here, and higher U.S. interest rates in the long run than otherwise may have occurred? Oil. Nine of the last 11 recessions have been preceded by sharp spikes in the price of oil. U.S. spending on oil, natural gas, and renewables is now about 11% of GDP. The last time it spiked this much, it peaked at about 14% of GDP when it slowed the economy. At what price does oil cause a recession now? Other commodities. Russia is the largest supplier of natural gas to Europe and was the third largest exporter of crude oil. Russia has been the world's largest wheat exporter, Ukraine the fifth largest. Ukraine has been the fourth largest exporter of corn. Russia was the largest exporter of fertilizers and a significant exporter of several important metals, including nickel, cobalt, tungsten, and platinum. How might supply restrictions of these commodities impact the world economy? Will Ukraine even have an exportable wheat crop or corn crop this year? Will there be food shortages late this year? And how much and how long will commodities prices fuel a spike in inflation? China. China recently asserted it has a better claim to Taiwan than Russia does to Ukraine. Will China seize this moment to seize Taiwan? The Fed. Significantly, these questions play out against the backdrop of the Federal Reserve, starting its much-anticipated cycle of raising interest rates. By itself, this would have been the most important event for financial markets in several years, except for COVID-19. Remember that. Now, not only does Fed tightening coincide with the Ukraine war, but high inflation the reason for the Fed's tightening is significantly exacerbated by the war. The yield curve. The yield curve is the difference between longer bond interest rates and short-term rates. Lower long-term rates than short-term rates generally precede recessions. There are various ways to measure this, but the most watched measure of the yield curve just went negative, signaling an increase in the odds of a recession. The latest readings of U.S. economic growth are strong. Initial claims for unemployment just hit the lowest level since 1969, and the unemployment rate just fell to 3.6%, nearly matching its pre-COVID low. However, employment is a lagging indicator. In other measures, inflation is soaring at multi-decade highs. The outlook for future inflation just went higher than at any time since 1981. Mortgage rates are soaring, and consumer sentiment just fell to its lowest level since 2011. High energy prices, a negative yield curve, collapsing consumer confidence, and the Federal Reserve in tightening mode combined to raise the likelihood of a dip in the U.S. economy within the next few quarters, though, of course, that's not certain.
Additionally, COVID-related supply chain challenges now combined with sanctions-related commodity shortages to raise the outlook for even higher inflation in ways that make it more likely to persist. The other risks and uncertainties on many levels are as high today as they have been for some time. Additionally, but on a more minor note, markets will soon be entering the worst six months of the annual seasonal cycle, as well as the worst six months of the four-year so-called presidential cycle. Initially slowing over 12% after the invasion, the global benchmark for stocks closed the first quarter down only 5.4% for the year, with international stocks and U.S. stocks performing about the same. Bonds are now down a bit more than stocks this year, with the taxable bond index down 5.9%. REITs are down about in line with stocks. Growth stocks had generally underperformed value stocks this year after tracking closely last year. As long-term investors, we actively seek to avoid responding to market wiggles and fads. But we have just witnessed some rapid changes that possess every indication of being long-lasting. One is higher inflation for longer, especially in commodity prices, as has been noted. Another is that the Western nations have suddenly embraced higher defense spending, which is highly likely to persist for years. Accordingly, where existing holdings and tax conditions allow, we are targeting greater exposure to still relatively cheap defense companies, as well as to fertilizer companies within stock holdings. We want to add exposure to cybersecurity stocks, but companies primarily in that area have been too expensive to embrace so far. We have slightly tilted more to inflation hedge assets, emphasizing commodity producers. In bonds, we have adjusted emerging market holdings to eliminate one ETF because it held 1.7% in Russian bonds. But more broadly, we have always sought to build all-weather portfolios that can tolerate well the squalls that blow up periodically, as well as the less frequent superstorms. As such, there are not many shifts to portfolios we found necessary to make. Our bonds continue to be generally shorter in maturity than the bond market. Our stocks tilt to better valuation, higher yield, and better financial strength and stock market indexes overall. And most of our portfolios continue to have meaningful allocations to market risk hedges and to real estate and other inflation hedges. Portfolios so constructed are generally expected to tolerate challenging conditions better, as so far this year they have. Interest rates are a bit higher, which is good for future bond returns. But bond yields that begin with two remain meager while inflation begins with seven. Similarly, future stock return prospects have somewhat improved as stock prices have come down a bit, but only a little in the broader context of the doubling of the stock market that occurred since March two years ago. And stock market valuations by nearly all measures remain exceptionally high. Courage, Churchill famously said, is paraphrasing, the virtue that makes all other virtues possible. We have many examples today of courage in the remarkable people and leaders of Ukraine. Fortunately, those examples seem to have inspired our own leaders and those of Europe too. America and the rest of NATO now appears to finally be done with appeasement. This may be the most important point in the long run, and the best reason to be confident the West will ultimately win in its struggle against authoritarianism. The near term, however, may feature more surprises and setbacks as markets currently offer scant margin of safety relative to the near-term risks. Follow this podcast for the latest episode of Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth, and please share with others. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster & Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.